0: Last week we began our study in John chapter 15. This particular text is this time in the life of Christ in which He has just finished His time with the disciples in the upper room. He's left that area and He's now more than likely walking through Jerusalem, going to that area of the Garden of Gethsemane. He is hours away from being crucified, and he's here to minister to his disciples, and he's here to minister to us. He began in in chapter 15 by saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And we studied that last week as we looked at what that meant of him being the true vine, and I... I'm on the board for Camp Oakhurst, a Christian camp up by Yosemite. So four times a year, I drive up to that region. And so we did on Thursday and came back late last night. But as I was driving back, the, you, you drive down the, the 41 and you're going through that whole region, coming back home. And there's there's vineyards everywhere. Um, beautiful as you look at at, at all the vegetation that 's there, but I specifically was brought to to think of these vineyards because we 've been studying it, and at this time of year it 's different than you know what we 'll find in the spring and what we 'll find in the summer and what we 'll find in the fall because this time of the year it 's just you you see the the vine that is there and it's it 's there into the ground, and there 's no leaves whatsoever on the branches it 's just they 're there and there 's the trellis, and you you see the the branches being pinned there to the to the trellis. But you look at this the, the vine, and it's just this awesome, leathery, just old looking vine that is rooted there in the ground. And I think of the time in which Jesus is at right here, and he's the true vine. You have these disciples who are there who at this point have not or much fruit at all. They're the branches. We are the branches. But he's speaking to them and, and showing them I'm that vine. That's me. I'm that vine. I'm I'm that which goes into the ground and is the source of of all fruitfulness for you. He says, My father's the vine dresser. He's the one that's going and he's he's Cutting and pruning and doing what's necessary to make it so that when the harvest comes, it's as fruitful as possible. And We looked at that last week as far as just the way in which God prunes us. The kindness of our Heavenly Father being the vine dresser that looks upon our lives and says you need to be pruned in this area or you need to be pruned in that area. I'm going to change this in your life and do whatever's necessary to bring you to a place of being as fruitful as you could possibly be. An all-knowing God that knows everything about us and what He desires for His glory and what He desires for our lives and He's molding us, conforming us into His image, but He's the one that when He sees fruit in our lives, it tells us that He prunes us that we might bear more fruit. And so he's doing that. Sometimes it comes in the sweetest of times. Where he's bringing us to a place of just spending time with him and in his word. And times of joy in which he's just working in our lives. We were driving up. I, I just had Jonathan and Natalie with me as we were going up to, towards Yosemite. And on the way up, they were asking about different songs and different worship songs and what they mean. And, and so I told them the story of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And so we, we listened to it over and over again on the way up. And I kind of had Jonathan in control, like, okay, stop it here. And so we just talked about what happened there to um, Horatio Spafford and, and how he had lost his son and how he had lost so much of his business. And he sent his family ahead to England and his wife and his daughters were going and, and the boat crashed and the ship crashed. And he gets a telegram back from his wife saying that, that all are lost, that she alone survived, that the daughters had all passed as that ship went down. And from there, just went on to explain to the kids, like, how radical it is that a man that has gone through those things, and I said, like, think about that. Like, think about if we lost our finances and our house and things like that, and then, and then we lose one child, and then we lose the other children. And looking at the circumstances that are there and to just think of the weight of what it is that he is singing— how it is that God can work into someone's life to sing like that in the midst of just incredible pruning that takes place. And so we talked about, like, when peace like a river attendeth my way, and then we stopped and just talked about there's times, you guys, where life is so good. There's times where there's so much peace that's there. There's things, times in which it just seems so plentiful, like things are going as well as they could possibly be going in our lives. And it's in times like that that we should be saying, God, it is well with my soul. We talked about what that would have meant to say, it is well with my soul. And then the next line says, "Um, when sorrows like sea billows roll. And then we started talking about that. What is it to live and have sorrows like sea billows just rolling and just pounding upon us? Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And so we just went through and stopped at every section of verse that's there and just described to the kids like what that meant. But I look at how that tragedy affected that man and how the fruit of that came that hymn and how many millions of Christians since that time have been radically ministered to by that song. See, his words just... They're able to glorify God in a different way than the person that has never seen sorrows like sea billows rule. Johnny Erickson taught a someone who was born in 1949. She's 66 years old right now. But as a teenager, 18 years old, she she dove into the Chesapeake Bay and broke her neck. And as a result, She became a quadriplegic. And this woman, it's amazing to be able to hear her story and the way in which God took her over those years of rehabilitation and just radically worked in her life. Um, She said, my weakness, that is my quadriplegia, is my greatest asset because it forces me into the arms of Christ every single morning when I get up. Isn't that radical? My my weakness, being in a place where I can't use my hands, I can't use my legs, being in a place where I I can't do any of that, it's my greatest asset because it forces me into the arms of Christ Every single morning when I get up, I abide with him. I'm found in him. There's fellowship with him. There's a dependence upon him. During those years of rehab, she learned to paint with her mouth using a paintbrush and painted just incredible artwork as well as wrote over 40 books in these years. Produced musical albums as well. Spoken all over the world. And the Lord used. Her greatest weakness. To cause the most incredible fruit. To come forth. Out of her life. The pruning that took place was something that. None of us would want. Right? We, We would prefer. God can you prune us in a different manner. In a different way. But. Our vine dresser, our heavenly father, knew exactly what he was going to do in her life. The way that she would exalt his sovereignty. Someone who has an accident in which it's devastating. And yet she's able to say things and it has such authority as she does it. She said, nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing is, set back to his, is a setback to his plans. Nothing can thwart his purposes. And nothing is beyond his control. His sovereignty is absolute. Everything that happens is uniquely ordained by God. Sovereignty is a weighty thing to ascribe to the nature and character of God. Yet if he were not sovereign, he would not be God. The Bible is clear that God is in control of everything that happens. And the... Authority in which a woman who is a quadriplegic and has been since 18 years old causes just incredible fruit to come forth out of her life. And so Jesus here speaking to the disciples tells them, I'm the true vine. I'm that leathery vine that's rooted into the ground. My father's the vine dresser. Nothing. You think of a branch that's there and it just... It doesn't have any ability to do anything apart from being connected to that vine. If you cut it, it doesn't continue to grow. You could cut it and stick it into the ground. You can water it well. Still, no ability to produce fruit. It'll just wither away. We as God's people are the branches and we are connected to the vine and our fruitfulness is totally and completely dependent upon us being in Christ. An unbeliever has no ability to produce fruit in their life that would glorify God. They have the ability to do good things as far as in the world's eyes. They have the ability to do all kinds of different things, but not produce fruit that glorifies God and is for his kingdom. They have no ability to do it. You must be in the vine, and apart from him, we can do nothing. And so, Jesus continues on and says, If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, and this is the text that we'll be getting at for this morning, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. By this, My Father is glorified. This is what glorifies my Father, that you bear much fruit. Each and every one of us here in this room as believers. This is how God is glorified. This is how the Father is glorified. That you as a teenager or you in your retirement years, you as a mom or a dad or you in the business world or you in whatever place God has you right now, in times of trial or in times of plenty, that you would bear much fruit That you have fruit just coming forth out of your lives in ways that are just radical and blessing all those that are around and bringing glory and honor to His name. That's how the Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Um, It is not saying that that if you if you bear fruit, then you're my disciple. But you bearing fruit, it proves that you are his disciple. It reveals that that you are in him, that you are found in the vine because there's fruit coming forth out of your life. If there is no fruit that's coming out of your life, he's saying you're not connected to the vine. Being a Christian means that you are in him. You are in the vine and there's fruit that's going to come forth out of your lives. But our desire is not just a little bit of fruit coming out of our lives. Our desire is for there to be much fruit in our lives. Much fruit. The need, the desire for us to have much fruit come out of our lives is directly related to us abiding in him and finding ourselves totally and completely dependent upon him. I think of those with the The most incredible fruit out of their lives. Let's just take the Apostle Paul. Incredible fruit coming out of his life. He's been through many trials, pruned in all kinds of different ways. But he's established churches and he's written a huge portion of the New Testament. And he's been used by God in just incredible ways for the gospel to go forward. But, but what does he say after, after he sees all the fruit that comes out of his life, after you picture this vine that is there and the branches coming forth, and here's Paul, he's this branch, and there's just fruit everywhere coming forth out of his life. He responds by saying, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's, it's by God's grace that I am who I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. It's by God's grace that that there's fruit that's just coming out of my life. He says, I labored more abundantly than them all. I labored more abundantly. I worked so hard. I I wanted fruit to come out of my life. I wrote letters as the Holy Spirit inspired me to write these letters. I went to prison. I preached the gospel. I went wherever I possibly could to minister to God. The churches. I was a tent maker. I did whatever I could to not bring reproach to the name of Christ, but I, I, I made it my aim to just minister. I labored more abundantly than them all, but then he responds by saying, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And so you you picture this vine, and it's producing, it has a branch, and the, the, the branch is producing all kinds of fruit, And yet, isn't it amazing when you see that incredible fruit coming out of your life, your response like Paul is, but that's not me. It's the grace of God. It's not me. It's Christ in me. It's not me. I'm I'm just... All I can do is just cling. All I can do is just be connected to the vine and just cling to whatever the trellis is that's holding me. But... He's the one that makes this fruit come out of my life. The title of our sermon this morning is, The Father Glorifies Himself Through His People. He works to bring glory and honor to himself, and he does it through his people. And here's the vine, and it's producing these branches that are producing much fruit. And as that takes place, we just say, not me, not me. It's him. It's Christ. He's the one that's doing this work in my life. He's the one that's causing this to come forth. He's the one that's glorifying himself through me. I'm I'm just the branch. He's the vine. He's the source of it all. So Jesus says, this is how my father's glorified, that you bear much fruit. We depend on him. And we watch him work in just incredible ways. Paul prays for the church and he says this in Philippians 1.9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, that you may be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. So his prayer is, I just want fruit to come out of your lives. I want fruit of righteousness to come out of your lives. Which are by the vine. It's by Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. You find it all throughout scripture. Bear fruit. May this come forth out of your life. But may the praise and the glory go to Christ. He's the vine. He's the one that does the work in your life. Paul has this mentality as, as he thinks of All that comes forth out of his life and he says things like in Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's, It's not me, it's him. And so we pray God cause fruit to come forth out of my life. May I just abide in you and may you prune me and may you work so that there's just fruit everywhere coming out of my life. That I'm able to proclaim the gospel. That I'm able to live in such a way that they see a difference in me. That i may be able to love those that persecute me. That I might be able to forgive as you've forgiven me. That I might be able to stir up the gifts that you've given me for the purpose of building up the body. That I might be able to pray for those that are in need and pray for those who need you. That I might be living a life of of using the gifts that you've given me for the purpose of your kingdom and for your glory and for your honor. May I use the resources that you've given me for the purpose of your kingdom. What might exalt you most in this life? Having a mentality that's just I just want to glorify him. I want to, to please him. I want people to see how much he is treasured in my life, regardless of my circumstances. If, if if I'm being pruned and things are difficult, may I respond in such a way that they see that he is more precious than anything that this world has to offer. May those that are around us see that we treasure him above all things. May there be great fruit that comes out of our life as he's glorified. In verse 9, he says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, what an amazing verse that is, isn't it? Jesus, Son of God, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. The same way that the Father loves the Son, Jesus is saying that is the exact same way in which I love you. The Father loves the Son with an everlasting, immeasurable, unchanging, joyful, wholehearted, intelligent, pure, and perfect love. He loves the Son like that. And the same love in which the Father loves the Son, Christ loves us. You think of the father showing his love for the son when Jesus is baptized and Jesus comes up from the water and and the heavens are open and it tells us that suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus is saying the same way that the father loves me, that's how I love you. The exact same love that he has for me, that's the love that I have for you. Paul says, For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He will love us with the same love that the Father has loved the Son for all eternity. There's times in which we as, as, as people, we just want to feel loved. We just want to be loved. You look at your circumstances and things may not be going the way that you would want them to go. And yet to be in a place of just knowing, I am loved. I am loved with the same love that the Father, God the Father has for God the Son. That's how I'm loved. Every moment of every day, and it will be like that. For all eternity. When God is there in the final hours of his life, prior to going to the cross, his message to the disciples is, you are loved in the same way that the Father loves me, the Son. And Jesus clearly and perfectly knew that the, the love that the Father had for the Son, didn't he? For all eternity, he was able to be in perfect unity with the triune God to know the incredible love that his father had for him and now he's saying to his disciples i love you guys with that exact same love so abide in my love abide there stay there rest there find yourself to be so safe in the loving arms of your savior Depend upon that unfailing love. His love for us is that which should be the fuel that drives us to loving him more and more each and every day. His love for us is not based on our performance, but it's based upon his grace. He didn't love us because we were lovable, but rather, when we were yet sinners, he loved us, even died for us. He loves us. Rest there. Stay there. Find yourself just having incredible joy as far as I'm loved by the same love that the Father loves the Son. It cannot be improved upon. It's immeasurable. It is absolutely perfect. It doesn't ever fade away. It's everlasting. And I can just find myself so safe there and finding myself so satisfied there that I just, it fuels me to serve him. I pray that it would. Peter denied Christ three times. And yet he knew that Christ loved him. Even after falling into just terrible sin, he knew that Christ loved him. He speaks to the churches and he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but you are now the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtain mercy. And he later on says, so cast all of your care upon him because he cares for you. Just cast all of your cares upon him. He loves you. He loves you with the same love that the Father loves the Son. That's how Christ loves you. So just cast your cares upon him. You are in a place of just abiding in the love of Christ for you. If you want to think deeply about what that love looks like, thinking of how is it that he loves me. Just, just fix yourself upon the cross. Just look upon the cross. I mean, you, you see this cross here behind me, and it's this rugged cross in which you can picture your Savior carrying it. You picture him being nailed to it with stakes in his hands and in his feet. You picture him being there and taking all of our sin upon himself. He loves you with the most perfect love you could ever hope for. The same love in which the father loved the son. I mean, he's saying this just hours before he's about ready to go and demonstrate to the entire world what kind of love he has for us. Same love that the Father has for the Son, so does He love us that He is about ready to go to that cross. In verse 10, He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. In the same way that Christ kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love, That keeping of the commandments is that which once again proves that you are a believer. Part of being a believer is a desire to obey him, a desire to please him, a desire to follow him as the Lord of our lives, isn't it? As believers, there was a change that took place where all of a sudden your affections were towards him. Desiring to honor him, desiring to please him, desiring to obey him in every area of your life. And you fail and you sin and you'll mess up just like I do over and over and over again. But there is a desire to keep his commandments. And it's not burdensome. Just as Christ kept the Father's commandments in abiding his love. John later said in John First John 2.6, he who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And in John 4.34, he said, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what I desire to do. I just want to please him. And so part of being a believer is the desire to obey him. In verse 11, it says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I'm telling you these things, disciples, as I'm about ready to go to the cross. I'm telling you guys these things because I just want my joy to stay in you. And I want your joy to be full. I want you to have fullness of joy. I want you to see yourself as abiding in that vine. I want you to see the Father as the vine dresser. I want you to see that there is a plan. I want you to see that there is going to be fruit that comes out of your life as God's working in your life. I want your joy to stay. I want it to remain in you. I want it to be full. What an incredible thing it is to be a Christian. To be a Christian and to to live in a world in which there's sin and there's fallenness, and yet we can have joy in the midst of it all. What an incredible thing it was to talk to my kids about, oh, oh, the bliss oh, the, of this glorious thing. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Just talking with them and being able to say, like, why would he sing something like that? Even though his kids are gone, even though these circumstances are horrible, he's looking this is the bliss, the bliss, the joy, the joy of this glorious thought. Regardless of your circumstances, brothers and sisters, your sin, not in part, but the whole, all of it was nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And all of it's gone a weight that would have sent you to hell for all eternity, it is gone. You bear it no more. Not just part of it is gone. The whole of it is gone. All of it, every sin, past, present, future, regardless of how heinous the sin is, whatever the worst sin that you could think of in your life that you ever did, things that nobody else even knows about, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, your sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and you bear it No more. It makes joy come out of our lives even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances because we are saved. We're his bride. We are his family. We have been brought into his family. We've been clothed with robes of righteousness. The psalmist says here in um, prophesying the words of Christ when he's here on earth where he says in Psalm sixteen 8, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul and shield nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You'll show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is the God in whom we serve. Your heart is glad. Your glory rejoices. Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. And so I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I'm covered with robes of righteousness. In verse 12, The Lord continues and says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Love each other like that. Here's my commandment to you, love one another. Love each other. What does that love look like? He begins to describe it. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one Than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Love each other. And the greatest love is to lay down your life for your friends. And he's saying this knowing that he is about ready to show them the greatest love that he could ever possibly show them by laying down his life for them. In fact, he goes on and tells them, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You are my friends. If I am your Lord, you are my friends. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things I heard from my father, I've made known to you. We read in the Old Testament about Abraham being a friend of God. That's a big deal. But to have Jesus tell his disciples... You're my friends. No longer do I call you servants. I call you my friends. There's this work that's taking place in which I have united you to me in such a way that we are friends. Now, it's not friendship in the way in which, like, he's our buddy. Notice, you are (laughs) my friends if you do whatever I say. Different than it is between us and being co-equals with somebody. He still is our Lord. He still is our God. We are subservient to him in every way, but there is a relationship that is there in which he's showing us the way that he loves us and saying like, you sinners that were dead in your sins and trespasses, that were not desiring any kind of relationship with me, who are running away from me, who loved the things of this world, loved unrighteousness, loved all the things of darkness, hated the light, I call you my friends. I'm making you my friends. I'm making it so there is a relationship there that is just the sweetest relationship that you could ever imagine. In verse 16, he goes on to show us even more so his love for us and the way in which he loves us. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain That whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. You want to know the kind of love Jesus is saying that I have for you? You didn't choose me, I chose you. You weren't the one that was initiating this, I was the one that initiated it. You weren't the one that had the soft heart that just desired me. You had a heart of stone. I had to change your heart to a heart of flesh before you would do that. You weren't the one that saw my beauty and wanted to run after me. You were blind and you were fixed upon just wickedness and yet I made you able to see. I drew you by the sweetness of my Holy Spirit. I am the one that did that. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's the way in which he loves us. the kindness in which he shows towards us. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. And then he begins to be able to just to go through and say, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. I call you my friends. I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. This is the way in which I love you. And then he finishes by saying, these things I command you that you love one another. Love each other. What an incredible fuel that is for us as the body of Christ here this morning. You look around this church, the saints that are here, junior high kids, high school kids, college kids, young adults, young married couples, older married couples. People in their 40s, people in their 50s, people in their 60s, people in their 70s, 80s, maybe 90s? I don't know. Maybe you feel like you're in your 90s. All different ages, all different people, all different walks of life, and Jesus is just saying like, love each other. Love each other. Bear fruit. Have fruit come out of your lives. Much fruit. God's glorified by it. Love each other the way that I've loved you. Here's your motivation for it. I died for you. I call you my friends. I chose you. When you didn't want anything to do with me, I chose you. I worked in you. I did it. I, I loved you with the perfect love, the most perfect love that you could ever be loved with. I laid down my life for you, and I chose you. So love each other. May that just motivate us to be the most incredibly loving church. Love each other. Find ways to love each other. Find ways to minister to each other. Find ways to build each other up. Find ways to pray for each other and disciple one another and to make it so that we are used by Almighty God to just bear much fruit. We've, appointed, we've been appointed for that. And he is glorified through that. What an incredible God we serve. Taking them to the point, right before he goes to the cross, of just saying, this is how I love you. This is where your strength comes from. This is how you're going to bear fruit. Abide in me and I in you. You can't do anything apart from me. I've demonstrated love towards you in the most perfect way. So now, love each other that way. I've appointed you to bear fruit. Now, go and bear fruit. You can picture those vineyards on the way home. You've seen them, right? Just wood. A vine. Little, tiny, pathetic branches that are there, tied to a wire, but they've been pruned by the vine dresser. And in due time, in the near future, they will bear incredible fruit. May that be us as we leave this place. May God work in us that just incredible fruit comes out of our lives. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you took that walk with those disciples and then you just spoke to them with the most incredible kindness to show them how it is that they are related to you, you being the vine, them being the branches. Thank you for the exhortation that you give to them to abide in you and to produce much fruit. Thank you for revealing to us who the vine dresser is and the reason in which he does what he does and how he does it for his glory and for our fruitfulness. Thank you for the fuel that we need to serve you and to live for you and to love you and to love one another as you just show us the fullness and the greatness and the extent of the father's love for you and your love for us lord may it be so crystal clear in our minds that it affects every bit of our emotions and our minds and our hearts and the way in which our feet walk and our hands move in the way in which we use all that you have entrusted us with for the purposes of your glory, Lord, may you do that in us and may we find great joy in it, fullness of joy. You told us these things so that we could have fullness of joy. May we go hard after that this day and the days to follow. May we want to just find fullness fullness of joy in you and in glorifying you and having fruit come out of our lives as we abide in you. May that may that bring just incredible joy to each and every heart here this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for the way in which you've loved us and for your precious word. May we now sing with all that is within us, in Jesus' name. Amen.